Well, if you have a copy of the Bible, why don't you go ahead and meet me in Romans chapter 12. We are going to continue our stroll through this really practical chapter that paints a picture of what it looks like for someone who has been forgiven and set free by Jesus Christ to live. What does the life of a follower of Jesus Christ look like? And uh, man, today Paul is going to give us a, a really stretching picture of what it looks like for followers of Jesus Christ to love each other. I don't know if you're ready for this, but ready or not, here we go. Romans chapter 12. We're going to start reading at verse number 9. Um, and as always, we're going to pause and make observations, and I trust bring some meaningful application to our lives. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, here's what it says. Love must be sincere. <laughs> okay, we're going to pause um, um, really quickly already because I think it's worth noting that when Paul speaks about love in this chapter, in this passage, he is using love in a very practical sense. He He's describing love as the choice to act for someone else's benefit. The choice to practically act for someone else's benefit, to do something that builds up or benefits someone else. Uh, he's not speaking about love emotionally. He's not talking about whether or not you like that particular person, because I don't know if you knew this, but you can act for the benefit of someone that you don't even know, let alone like he's not speaking about love in the chemistry connection sense he's not particularly concerned about how many things y'all have in common because i don't know if you knew this but you can act for the benefit of someone with whom you disagree about absolutely everything love here is focused not so much on your feelings as much as it is focused on our choices to choose to act for someone else's benefit. Okay, for me personally, that makes sense. It's what comes next that I find a little bit interesting because I don't know if you noticed, but Paul said, love must be sincere. Now, if somebody said this to me privately, I would probably feel a little bit offended. I would get a tad defensive about this. You need to love people. Not cool. But you, you need to love people sincerely. Whoa. I'm sorry. Why would you feel the need to tell me to love people sincerely? How do you think I normally love people? And my guess is Paul would say, it's not how I think you naturally love people. It's how I know you naturally love people. Because here's the reality. When we naturally, normally love people, we tend to love people with conditions, if we're honest. I will love you as long as you fill in the blank. I will love you as long as you don't hurt me, as long as you don't betray me, as long as you don't cross me. I'll love you then. 
<laughs> I'll love you as long as I can tell everybody that you get a 3.8 GPA. I'll love you then. I'll love you so long as you don't turn out to struggle with this particular thing. Oh, oh, get pregnant and see what happens then. Watch what happens to my love. I love you with conditions. And we often don't realize the conditions that attach ourselves to the ways that we love people naturally, um, making our love less than sincere, which is why Paul says what he says, because the reality is we tend to love people with agendas, right? Uh, listen, I will love you as long as you give me such and such a thing. Now, we don't outwardly say this, but internally, we have this system that often says, I will love you as long as I get. Fill in the blank. I will love you because being associated with you has a way of upping my personal credibility i i love you because it well it keeps me from feeling lonely um i i, I love you because um you provide security for me and the kids oh honey look 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 at me washing the dishes do you see how i'm what do you see though I want you to see because there is an agenda to the reasons I act for the benefit of people in my most natural state. I love you because you're familiar. You're, you're safe. I don't have to venture out of what's comfortable for me right now. And yet for the follower of Jesus Christ, Paul is saying we ought not to just love each other and act for the benefit of other people, but he says we ought to love genuinely. He says love must be sincere because he knows our love is often and naturally layered and it comes with fine print and it comes with conditions which cheapens its authenticity. For the Christian, God calls you to love the people in your world without condition, without agenda. Love must be authentic. Love must be sincere. Love must be genuine. By the way, I found it really, really fascinating that the word Paul uses for sincere is a word that's not found anywhere outside of Christian literature. Isn't that really interesting? It's almost a, a description of love that wasn't familiar until Jesus came and he acted in our benefit even when it didn't particularly benefit him. And even though he was betrayed, and even though he was abandoned, and even though he was hurt, and even though he was laid out on a Roman torture device called the cross, he continued to act for our benefit, even though it wasn't convenient to him. And make no mistake about him about it, the world around him would have said, oh, no, 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 no. You've got to tap out because there is nothing in it for you. 
it is not worth the pain you are experiencing to bring benefit to these people. And yet on the cross, Jesus persisted still. It would have been a foreign concept until Jesus came. And now Paul says, those of you who've experienced his forgiveness, those of you who've been set free by his love ought to love sincerely without condition, without agenda. Um, it's such a foreign concept to our nature and Paul knows that which is why I think he goes out of his way in the following verses to make it really practical for us to paint a picture of what it looks like to genuinely act for each other's benefit. Um, and here's one of the, the, the first things he, he says beyond this. He says, uh, Genuine love is the kind of love that hates sin. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That got intense super quick. Because what's sin got to do got to do with love? I mean, at least that's the question I ask when I read this. And yet he says, look at verse 9. Again, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. This is so powerful. Here's what Paul knows. Sin is designed to destroy us. Let me say that again. Sin is designed to destroy us. Anytime I do anything other than what God says, I start to move towards destruction. Now, it may be a party for a moment. Uh, it may feel good for a season. Um, it, it may present itself as really pretty at first, but make no mistake about it. Every single sin moves me away from God and towards destruction. And not just my destruction, by the way, the destruction of as many people I'm connected to as possible. Sin is designed to destroy us. Um, this is the only place in the whole Bible where this word for hate is used. And uh, it's a word that carries the idea of horror. The idea of recoil. Um, Paul is saying genuine love is horrified by sin. Man, that is a strong word to use. But how beautiful, right? Because you can start to see what Paul is saying in this context. I cannot genuinely act for your benefit 
and be okay with something I know is destroying you. There's no way my love can be genuine. There's no way my love can be sincere. If I'm ever okay with something I know is designed to destroy you, no, I'll be horrified by that. And I'll respond accordingly. It's interesting when we start to talk about the conversation about sin in the church and, and um, the, the conversation about hating sin in the church, I think we get a little bit um, oversensitive about this, even though it is in the Bible. And it's interesting. I think one of the reasons this gets really tricky for us is because of our focus. Um, oftentimes, I, I think we, we talk about sin like, can you believe what he did? Um, the scarier part of sin, though, is not so much what he did, but what sin is now doing to him. It is destroying him. And I think immediately we shift our focus and understand no sin is designed to destroy. And so when somebody moves in any direction, uh, apart from what God says, they are moving towards destruction. Now you can understand why love would say, I want your benefit. I cannot be okay with you moving in that direction. That horrifies me. Therefore, I am going to respond accordingly. If we truly understood sin and its effects, we would be horrified when somebody chooses it. And notice, I said horrified by sin. I didn't say grossed out by it. That's not the word Paul uses. If I'm aware of an area of sin in your life, a place where you are choosing other than what God has said, and I'm okay with it, I don't love you for real, not sincerely, not genuinely. Uh, 911, what's your emergency? Somebody's kicking my door down and they're threatening to hurt me. Okay, so what are we talking about here? Like mahogany, white? I'm just curious to know what you've done with a place. What does this door look like? That would not be the appropriate response to the situation. Well, I mean, I just didn't want to be difficult. I wanted to be... No, Paul uses the appropriate word, horrified, for a situation in which somebody is moving in the direction of destruction. If I'm aware of an area of sin in your life, a place where you are choosing other than what God has said, and I don't act. I don't genuinely love you in that moment, in that space. If I'm aware of an area of sin in your life, a place where you are choosing other than what God has said, and I support you, oh, I'm with you, girl. Dude, I got you. And I even keep your secret as some gesture of support. I am not loving you genuinely. 
Now, maybe best case scenario, I just don't understand that sin is destroying you. But I'm not loving you genuinely. If I'm aware of a place where you're choosing other than what God said, and I decide, well, mm, it's not one of the bad sins, though. <laughs> it could have been worse. Am I right? And I downplay it. I'm not genuinely loving you because sin destroys any and all sin destroys. It may take effect differently at different rates in different ways, but it is designed to destroy. Genuine love is horrified by anything that will destroy someone else. And come on, that makes sense to you. Not just the sins that gross me out. Not just the sins I don't particularly personally struggle with. But all sin. Love hates what's evil. Do you genuinely love enough to hate sin because of the ways it destroys people and dishonors God. Um, but genuine love doesn't just hate sin. It celebrates life. It celebrates beauty. To do other than what God says is to choose to live a little less. But to do anything that God says is to choose to live a lot more. There are two sides to this coin. Every time I say yes to God, it moves me towards him and it moves me towards fullness of life. The fullness my soul was designed for. The fullness my soul ultimately craves. Every time I say yes to God, I am moving towards the experience of springs of life. To do what God says is to choose to live a lot more. Look again at verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. But come on, somebody. Cling to what is good. Uh, the word cling is uh, a Greek word that means... Um, Sticky. It's taken from the word glue. <laughs> it's this idea of, of sticky. As a follower um, of Jesus Christ, um, I'm going to stick to the things that he says. And by the way, the, the reason Paul would use the word stick, cling, is because I'm going to have every reason and every opportunity to bail out. I'm going to be invited and lured and tempted on a constant basis. There'll be pressure after pressure after pressure to move away from God. I'm going to have to resolve to cling to the things 
that God says. Um, but now think about this in the context of genuine love, right? If I'm genuinely for your benefit, I'm going to cheer for, I am going to champion the things in your life that move you closer to God and move you closer to living life more fully. I am going to be all about those things. If I'm going to stick to a theme, I'm going to stick to the theme of celebrating the good and the growth that I see in your life because I want you to drink fully from the springs of life. Come on, I'm not just going to rally against sin. I'm not just going to campaign against the things that may be moving you towards destruction even more than that. I am going to be rallying for and cheering for the things that move you closer to life. And if I'm going to emphasize something, if I'm going to cling to anything, it's going to be what's good. Uh, what's good for my life, but I'm going to cling to and emphasize what's good in you. If there's going to be something you hear from me often, if there's going to be a sticky theme, so to speak, Man, it's going to be, I saw the small yes you said to God and woo, let's go. Let's revel in this. Let's celebrate this loudly. I believe genuine love ought to celebrate the good in others more loudly than we campaign against the bad. As a parent, goodness sakes, I need to grow in this immensely because... Man, my antenna just tends to be so much more dialed into what the kids did wrong and who messed up. Give me a list. Um, then what they do right. And I want that to change in my home. I don't want to be more critical than I am celebratory. I want to cling to the good I see even in my home as a leader i don't want to emphasize the things that are the, that are messed up and the things that are broken as much as i want to emphasize the ways in which jesus is working profoundly among us as a citizen i don't want to, to notice and emphasize what's ugly in this nation and that's what i'm talking about the most i want to emphasize the ways in which the spirit of god is still bringing life and he's still stirring in folks moving folks towards jesus even in the midst of the darkness and in the midst of the chaos that should be what i post more than anything else cling to what is Good. Do you love genuinely enough to celebrate beauty? Then it's almost as if Paul moves from what genuine love does to almost the posture of genuine love. How genuine love does what it does for the benefit of others verse 10 he says be devoted 
to one another in love. Uh, once again, it's it's linguistically interesting. Um, in in the New International Version, the version that we are, are, are reading from, uh, the word is is translated devoted. Be devoted to one another, and it it sounds like the idea of commitment. Be committed to each other. Um, but the word actually means tender affection. Be tenderly affectionate towards one another. Take a tender tone with one another emotionally, verbally, in your behavior. Take a tender tone towards and with each other. Now he's telling us how to do it, which is so beautiful, by the way, because I can be horrified by sin, understanding the ways in which it's destroying you and still enter into the conversation with tender affection. In fact, that's what genuine love will do. Paul says genuine love treats gently. It treats gently. It hates sin. It, it celebrates beauty. But in its posture, in its tone, it, it treats people gently. I will act for your benefit and I will be gentle in the way that I do that my posture will not be harsh my you know my tone is not going to be hurtful um my disposition is not going to be condescending or talking down to you because i really really do want what's best for you i really really do want your benefit why would i mistreat you in the process why would i wound you with my words or my tone in the process of helping push you or acting for your benefit it, it wouldn't make sense paul says no genuine love treats people gently and i'm just saying if you claim to love people and you claim to be posting things for people's benefit but its tone is harsh its its tone is hurtful. Um, Paul would say, "You are not loving genuinely, not legitimately." The reality is, at that point, now you're mad about something. At that point, you become harsh. You're trying to, 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 to make a point. Somebody's going to feel the weight of what you are saying. Or you are just going to absolutely you know, shake people awake to your position. But no, if I really care about you thriving and I really care about your benefit, I'm going to enter in tenderly. Um, if I'm inviting my kids to life at home, but I'm screaming at them and I'm, I'm tearing them down, my love is not genuine in that space. 
Now you will hear me. My voice is more important than your voice. And so Paul would say, no, genuine love treats gently. Do you love genuinely enough to be gentle, to be tender in your tone? And then Paul gives a, a couple more evidences of genuine love, the way it, it shows up, the posture with which it enters in. Second part of verse 10, he says, honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. He's saying genuine love always gives preference. I don't just treat you gently. I give you preference. The idea of honor is really that idea, that idea of preference. Not like I like you more than I like myself. That's not the idea. But I give you first dibs. I choose to give you first dibs. If we're in a position where we both have an opportunity to benefit, genuine love will say, go ahead. No, 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 no. You go first. After you. No, 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 no. Let me hear your pain first. No, no, no. You choose first it will give preferential treatment to the other person that's what genuine love does always Woo, man everything about the way we love people naturally um actually tends to give people out of our leftovers i'll act for your benefit if i have a little extra <laughs> oh but if what's beneficial to you ever clashes with what's beneficial to me <laughs> i'm out i'm sorry i'm out i'm gonna be in it for me and everyone would understand that yeah everyone except heaven because that's not the way jesus loved us that's not how i landed this forgiveness that's not how i landed this fullness that's not how i landed this freedom genuine love is not a leftover kind of love i want what's best for you even if it affects my personal bottom line i want what's best for you even if it brings with it inconvenience to me which brings us back to this thing that we've been talking about a lot recently my rights or your rights and let's take anybody's agenda off the table. Just assume you read this chapter of scripture. 
what do you think genuine love would say? My rights or your rights? Now, genuine love would say, I defer. I give preference to your rights every time. Now, ask me if that's scary. Good question. I think it's terrifying. Ask me if that's easy. It's not easy. Ask me if it's natural. Ask me if there's a word to describe this kind of love in a literature outside of the Christian faith modeled by the person of Jesus. This is what sets us apart, y'all. This is what sets the love of Jesus apart and sets the love of Jesus in and through his people apart. I will give deference to your rights when our rights clash. Woo! If someone is selling you a different version of love, believe them. That is a different version of love. It's not the version the Bible reveals to us. Whose benefit is first in your world? Genuine love defers. Genuine love gives preference you first then paul ends by saying um <clears throat> genuine love doesn't just hope to love genuinely no genuine love is determined to make sure it chooses to act for the benefit of others. Make sure you act genuinely in each other's favor. This is the way he says it in verse 11. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal. Genuine love makes sure. Never lacking in zeal. Now I know this is a super touchy topic for a variety of reasons for a variety of us, but have you ever seen someone who loves Sunday afternoon football. <laughs> this is a special breed of person. Um, by the way, I'm just going to tell you. The thing that's true about them is they are never lacking in zeal. Mm -mm. Have you seen a teenager and um, a teen's relationship to Fortnite? They are never lacking in zeal. Have you ever encountered somebody who perhaps enjoys when calls the heart? <laughs> hey, 
I live with some of these people. They are never, ever, Lord have mercy, lacking in zeal. Have you ever seen that parent with their kids' sporting events? Ooh, they are never lacking in zeal, which means for all of these people, there is a special brand of drive and determination to make sure they are in the designated place to experience that thing that they are super into. I'm not missing Sunday after. You know where dad will be on Sunday afternoon. You don't need Life 360 for that. You know where to find him. You know where your kids are going to be at a certain time. Never lacking in zeal. Um, this, this idea of, of, of lacking in zeal, it kind of reminds me of how I approached school um, as a kid. Um, dragging my feet in the morning to get up. Uh, stalling as much as I possibly could, um, reluctant, um, not particularly enthusiastic, and mainly with a very close relationship to the snooze button. I'll do it in a little bit, snooze. I'll do it in a little bit, snooze. What am I exhibiting? A lack of zeal. Just a lack of determination, a lack of drive to make sure I'm up and ready if there's a way you can act for someone's benefit paul is saying don't drag your feet make sure don't hit the snooze button make sure don't put it off don't delay make sure you don't delay for when calls the heart. You don't delay for your kids, you know, sporting events. You don't delay for Sunday afternoon football. Don't delay if you see a way in which you can help push somebody towards Jesus and away from destruction. Never be lacking in that kind of zeal. He says genuine love makes sure there is a determination to do that thing for that person's benefit. If you talk about it and you think about it and you notice it on social media and it concerns you and you have feelings and conferences about it, but you never actually do something, you don't make sure you step in and play the part that benefits that person, Paul would say that's not a genuine kind of love. It sounds pretty to everyone else who hears you express the concern, but you haven't acted for their benefit. Yet, do you make sure? Again, verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. That's your make sureness. Serving the Lord. Whoa, 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 time out. Boy, whiplash. Um, 
you switched up on us, uh, Paul. Um, from loving people to serving the Lord, from loving people to serving the Lord, you kind of switched the topic up on us. No. No. Genuinely acting for someone else's benefit is serving the Lord. Genuinely acting for someone else's benefit is serving the Lord. Making sure that you go to war against the things that are destroying the people you claim to love is serving the Lord. Making sure that you dial up the celebration. Making sure that you are a cheerleader for the ways in which you see people saying yes to Jesus is serving the Lord. Making sure that you enter in with a tender tone and you treat people gently is serving the Lord. Making sure that you give preference to other people's benefit even over yours is serving the Lord. I don't know what you thought serving the Lord was. For me, I've often thought like serving the Lord is like I'm going to, I'm going to give the Lord what he wants. The Lord doesn't need anything from you. You want to serve him? He said serve people by loving genuinely, never lacking in zeal, but keeping this determination and this drive to make sure that you are doing the things that benefit others and point them towards him and move them away from destruction, giving them preference. That's what he wants. That's what serving the Lord looks like for his church. And come on, y'all, I've got to say this. We are living in an era right now where the world so desperately needs to see a picture of the love of Jesus genuinely lived by his people in the way we treat each other and the way we treat people outside of the family of the church. I am convinced the Spirit of God wants to raise up a movement in the church, returning us to the love that we've experienced in the person of Jesus Christ. That's not agendered. It's not harsh. It's not self-absorbed. It's not demanding of its rights, but it's constantly asking the question, how can we make sure we are pointing people away from things that destroy them towards the person of Jesus? with tenderness, with deference, with determination. Come on, I trust that the Spirit of God will stir in each of us a willingness to maybe look at the way we interact with people, starting in our homes and then in our close circles, in the context of the church, on social media, at our workplaces, strangers in the world, and ask the question, man, are we loving genuinely? Oh, because there was one time when Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples because of the way you all love. What an incredible calling. And I trust we'll be responsive to what the Apostle Paul is inviting us to here in Romans 12. And so, Father, I, I just pray 
that you would remind us of the love that we've experienced in the person of Jesus Christ. It is in view of his mercy. It's in view of his genuine, selfless, preferential love that we are forgiven and we are free. And now you invite us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. You, you invite us, Lord, to serve each other in the context of the church, using our gifts. And now you invite us to love each other genuinely and love those around us sincerely. Stir us to that brand of love, a love that's not found in our culture because it's foreign to it. It's been demonstrated by Jesus and it's now being shown by his people. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.